Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. If I am the ocean, then the crime against me is a crime against the ocean. And so crimes against Indigenous peoples are environmental crimes because we're environmental beings. And so a part of our decolonization process in this and our re-Indigenization process in this is tearing down those colonial boundaries, not just the colonial borders that they used to slice up our land territories, that they used to slice up and divide our ocean territories as well. They're tearing down those ideological boundaries that they've placed and the, the silos that they've placed around our understanding and our connectivity to these places. Today on American Indian Airwaves, strengthening the circle, the rights of Mother Earth, an in-depth conversation and presentation by international indigenous activists from Aotearoa or New Zealand on climate change getting on board. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, this exclusive special on strengthening the circle, the rights of Mother Earth. Our guests for the hour recently participated and spoke on a panel as part of the Strengthening the Circle, a native nonprofit leadership program that focused on the rights of Mother Earth this past April 19th to April 22nd of 2021. The event was organized by the Generation Indigenous Ways, the Seventh Generation Fund, Artemisia Associates, Wolfstar Productions, and Hapa Mountain. Our guest for the hour is from Aotearoa. Tina Nata is Project Research Specialist of Institute of Environmental Science and Research in New Zealand. She spoke on a panel on climate change, getting on board. Um, it's really heartwarming to see your smile and to see your face again. And um, our hearts are, you know, it really makes my heart yearn for you because usually around about this time we would be gathering together at the permanent forum. And, um, you know, we've been uh, here in Aotearoa where I, where I am. I'm a Ngāti Purau Wahine from the Ngāti Purau Nation on the East Cape of Te Ika Maui. And, and we're constantly sending prayers and thoughts out for the protection of our brothers and sisters across the Indigenous um, global village in these times of all. Uh, and so it's it's really an honour and a privilege. It's it's like, what is it? It's 10 to 5 in the morning here, but I've, I feel completely awake and happy and thankful <laughs> to be with you all. It's a real um, pleasure for me to be here with you all. So, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I stay... I live on the East Cape, the Far East Cape of the North Island in Te Ika, Maui. 
I'm uh, a member of the big blue continent called Temwana Nuiakiwa, an ocean person, an ocean descendant. I wanted to acknowledge and thank you, Whitney, also for bringing us up to this um, to this space and opening the space for us. I also wanted to acknowledge and thank you, Hawkeye of Faith, for your prayers this morning um, to open open that space for us as well to speak. If it's okay, I'm going to start. You just reminded me of a poem, a poem that I, I wrote around about the time. A little bit of what you just saw uh, was some of our resistance work that we did against uh, the oil company, um, Stat Oil, um, Seventh Generation Fund. We're really um, supportive of us bringing our issues around the um, oil industry along our coastline to the United Nations for the ocean, the inaugural oceans conference in 2000, I think it was 2016. And um, it was myself and my cousins, and we had been running a campaign along the Eastern seaboard and uh, working with about, there were 77 nations along the Eastern seaboard that we managed to get unanimous approval from to issue a trespass order to the oil companies to get off our coastline and stay out of our marine territories. And that involved also taking our waka, our voyaging canoe te Matawa Maui, out directly to them to issue the trespass order 250 nautical miles off our coastline. Uh, and they were there seismic, carrying out seismic testing, uh, which is a, a devastating uh, method of uh, issuing seismic blasts every 10 seconds, um, 24 hours a day for months on end uh, into the seabed seeking for pockets of oil and gas. So we mounted a, a campaign against that uh, that united a number of our East Coast nations um, who are very supportive of it. It was also a campaign that utilised our arts, that utilised our, um, our prayers, we worked with all of our people to ask them that every time we opened a meeting, we put those actions into the prayers. Uh, every time we gathered together as people, we made sure that it was present in our oratory as well. Uh, it was a part of our political discussions every day. And we carried out a, quite a, a lot of um, education and, and created a lot of resources to really push that through. Also, we had our elders over prayers we had a lot of amazing moments in that so that the boat that you saw in that um in that clip you know they, they always choose the most inappropriate names it's called the the amazon warrior it's the largest seismic surveying vessel in the world is and it is it's, it's an atrocious name that they choose like they also you know similar vessels they actually choose the names of our maori atua our maori deities and use them for their oil and military vessels as well and, and in any case, we called upon our ancestors uh, in prayers as that vessel was arriving. And um, I'll share a couple of these kinds of stories with you today. And uh, that vessel requires streamers. Those streamers run for kilometers behind the boat that issues the, it issues the seismic blast down into the seabed. And then the blasts reverberate back. And those streamers pick up the reverberations and that's what tells them where the oil and gas pockets are. And uh, we got our, our elders to go out and pray in the morning for protection and to let them know what we were doing. 
And, uh, and well, the sharks came, the sharks came and they, our shark ancestors came and attacked the streamers and the boat before it got to where it was meant to go to had to stop and then order new streamers that came from Thailand and delayed their seismic surveying program by a few weeks, which just gave us enough time to be able to organize also to get our waka to go out there. And I, I remember really clearly, you would have seen a little bit of that clip where we, we burst into haka, we burst into our traditional dance on board the vessel. And it was a challenge. It was a challenge to the vessel as it was out there, but it was also a message to our ancestors. Every time we stomped on the deck of our waka, we were sending our own reverberations, our own vibrations down into the moana to tell our relations down there that we are still there, that we remember our responsibilities, that we've not abandoned them, and that we'll do everything in our power to honour our relationship and responsibilities in relation to our marine territory. You know, for us in, in the East Cape, about 67% of our ancestral territories are marine territories. And a, a part of our colonial experience has been that the European colonial imagination, which is land-bound, <laughs> has restricted our idea of our territory to being land-bound and very, very much in a process of of highlighting particularly to colonial European power sets that our territory, even the word territory is based on the Latin prefix terra, meaning land. So using the English language is not helpful for us in expressing that our territories are by and large marine territories. You know, we're from a big blue water continent, so we are descendants of, uh, of the waters. Um, and yeah, it is amazing. Our, our mammals and our animal family they come to us and they and they join us in the fight in that space and during that process also i wrote a poem for my cousin who was one of the, he was one of the people on the on the um radio telling them to get out as well his name is raihan yeah and we've, we've been through a lot together and he called me one morning he said sis sis the suits are coming the suits are you know the oil companies and the researchers that the oil companies pay off to come and tell our people that it's in our best interests that we let them drill our coastline. He said, what do I say to them? You know, like, I want to know what to say to them. Just give me some quick pointers. And I, I wrote him a poem. So um, if it's okay, I'm going to read the poem out and it'll help kind of lead me into the next part of the talk as well. The poem is called, Hey, Mr. Suit. Hey, Mr. Suit. Are you an ocean person? Are you an ocean person? Are your people ocean people? Are your ancestors ocean people? Because I am and I always have been. My people have lived off and on and with this ocean since time immemorial. They have spoken with it and read it and traversed it and communed with it since before yours even knew it existed. And I can stand here right now and name every single ancestor that has stood before me going all the way back to this ocean herself. And all of their blood is in me going all the way back to this ocean herself, whose salty, watery blood is also in me. This ocean is my ancestor. And like all of my ancestors, she is me. So when I was my father, 
I was an ocean person. And when I was my father's mother, and back when I was my great, 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 great granddaddy too, throwing my net off the rocks at the people to feed my people, back when I was him, I was this ocean as a person, and I remain this ocean. So what you do to this ocean, you do to me. And when you claim to be an expert on this ocean, you're claiming to be an expert on me. You are not the expert on me. I am the expert on me. And it is my perspective that you must understand, not the other way around. It is my knowing that you must defer to, not the other way around. And if you do not get that, you're standing on the wrong land. No kute moana, te That means this ocean is mine and I will have the final say. No kute moana, te rangatira. I am the leader of my ocean. Um, so I wrote that to give him a hiki wairua to help to build himself up to engage with the suits as they come. And uh, it's just one tactic. You know, we utilize poetry, we utilize song. Uh, I've just had, I've just come back from the, the area that we we're protecting, the name of the area that we were protecting um, in that campaign. And that clip is called the Rokumara Basin. The Rokumara is, uh, it's actually an area that extends from our forest estate, which is a 200,000 hectare forest estate and mountainous forest estate. And it extends out uh, about 250,000, uh, 215 nautical miles out to sea as well. It's a huge area. Uh, and we all called it the same name, the Rokumara, whether it was in the sea or in the mountains. Like Maunakia, it was an it's a it's a mountain area that extends down into the ocean. And uh, just last week we were out in the mountains uh, as a part of our restoration project. It was a uh, huge restoration project to restore our rainmaker, restore our climate regulator, which is our forest estate, and it involves reconnecting. It also involves, you know, for us, and we fought for many, we fought for many years to get the management of our forest and mountain estate handed back to us because the Crown, like always, did a terrible job. We collectively looked after our oceans for millennia. Convention of the Law of the Sea uh, from the United Nations came in in the 1980s, and over that time, it's wreaked terrible havoc. We collectively looked after our forest estate for millennia very successfully. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves with Tina Nanta. She's Project Researcher Specialist for the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She's a longtime Indigenous activist and organizer and spoke this past April 21st of 2021 as part of a program called Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program that focuses on the rights of Mother earth and now back to climate change getting on board our colonial government took it off our hands stole it and started to look after it and within 30 years has nearly broken it um, it's become overridden with 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 pests so we fought and we got it back uh, it was its management was handed back to us last year and we're now on the journey of developing our care program for it 
which involves taking our people back and into the into our forest estate to connect uh, with that journey. And that also involves us utilizing prayer, utilizing our traditions, so that it's not just Indigenous peoples, it's Indigenous practice that we are centering in our care in our care journey for our special places. And some of that is very scientific, you know, from our perspective, it's, it's our Indigenous science as well. We know that when we um, speak to plants, everybody here should know that when you speak to a plant, the plant grows stronger and is happier. You play music to plants, they go stronger and happier. We use those same principles and we chant, we chant and we, and we waiata, we sing, and we say our Indigenous prayers because we know that that is a knowledge that has grown out of those soils, that has grown as a relation, their languages have grown as a relation to the soils and the plants as well. And as I say, you know, just last week, we were deep, five days deep into our forest estate with our elders and our youth undertaking our ancestral trails as well. I can show you some, I'll show you just quickly some images there. That was the, our group there that's in front of our, uh, one of our ancestral meeting houses where we left from, where we walked from, Kaiaio Marai. And there were about 26 of us who, who hit the ancestral trail. We always... Uh, we always acknowledge our Indigenous brothers and sisters and the and the various struggles that they are on as well. You know, this is our our monga that we were looking to protect. And so we remembered our brothers and sisters on Monakea as well and the various struggles around um, around the world. And we have an evening of storytelling and dialogue before we leave and prayer as one of our elders, Jack Booking. Who, uh, who came with us at 75 years old, came with us into the bush and fitter than most of the young people there and carried his wisdom and protection with us as well. And it, it was um, a pretty amazing one. Our, our elders, our aunties, who came to see us off as well and sing songs to us as we left. And these can, we have a, uh, there's a couple of clips here. We had Wananga um, or workshops around creating fire, but also our genealogical connections to fire and our fire gods and our fire prayers. And we learn the trees that hold the fire and the, uh, and the processes and the rocks that hold the fire, how to identify those rocks. So it's always just a process of connecting, connecting ourselves uh, back into and plugging ourselves back into those knowledge frameworks um, to be good ancestors and and good descendants of those spaces as well and it also we were all all carrying between 15 to 20 kgs through pretty challenging terrain and and weather and high flow as well um which brought us really closely together i want to show you this clip though because this for me is where the magic really happens and it was when we got to a particularly challenging part of the trail which really is, I guess, a metaphor for the challenge, the challenges that we all face as Indigenous peoples um, in the pursuit of looking after Big Mama or looking after Papa Tuanuku and what it was that got us through. Some One of the sisters started to struggle coming up the waterfall. And so we launched into a haka, a, a chant to help her get up to the top. And it was called Kaareareareare. And uh, the Kaareareareare is the falcon. What we, I didn't manage to catch, though, is that as we did this haka, a falcon at the end of it wound up kind of also coming out, and the falcons showed up 
throughout that walk. And the falcon, that song, the reason that it's called Kariaria is because one of our ancestors, his sign was the falcon, and he used to wear falcon feathers in his hair. And so it was really meaningful for us that the falcon came out. But um, I'll just play this. A lot of the waterfalls had to be roped up for us to be able to make our way up to the top of them in very um, slippery terrain, very slippery, slippery terrain. Yeah, it was a really... Um, emotional special moment on our trip where we could feel really feel our words and our calls soaking into the rock walls and the moss around us and our stories um, joining the stories of our ancestors who have walked those trails before and all of those things are so important for us in our restoration projects uh, in our reclamation project in our uh, resistance campaigns to remind ourselves of where real power is and where the source, how important it is for us to reconnect to that source and that power. And, you know, there's no, I don't, you, our words in Māori are te mana, te wehi, te tapu of these spaces, which is the awe-inspiring power and mana and strength undeniable strength of those spaces of our of our ancestral natural spaces and that's real power uh, everything else that we come up against is um, a bit of a guise I guess of power and it's not unshiftable we've done some pretty amazing things that's um it's a it's a catch cry that we often use here in Aotearoa as well but I guess one of the things that, are, you know, and I want to kind of, I don't, I'm not going to spend too much longer talking, but I, I do want to touch on how important it is for us to, and I spoke a little bit about it in that clip earlier, but it's so important for us to keep returning back to um, talking to where the real power is, which is these spaces, our ancestors, our ancestral knowing, you know, as powerful as that boat was. It wasn't up to our prayers. It didn't stand up to our prayers. They called our sharks in. And then uh, it only just arrived here, actually, that big boat, that the, the biggest seismic survey vessel in the world. And then after it finally got its streamers back on, it tried to get started. And then a cyclone came up the East Coast. <laughs> so, and we were able, you know, our waka, our ocean voyaging canoes, they can withstand cyclones. In fact, they're made to withstand severe storms at sea. They just go faster. And so we were able to go in there, issue our challenge, turn around and have that cyclone send us swiftly, swiftly home. Um, whereas that boat, after having its streamers attacked um, and having us interrupt its grid, its survey grid, had to pretty much shut up shop and then go home. And then it was last June 20th that we got news that it finally surrendered its oil survey permits as well. So it's gone and is never coming back. And throughout that time, we were also able to campaign our government to stop handing out oil permits. And they've stopped that they've outlawed, outlawed now handing out oil permits, offshore oil permits. So now we know that there won't be any others coming to our East Coast to do that as well. So now we're in the process of helping to get them out. Actually, the last oil, the last OMV oil rig, offshore oil rig just left from down south a couple of months ago and our sister Sina was really in instrumental in, in helping to get rid of that one as well 
And so now we're just left with the onshore, the fracking ones, and we'll get them too. We'll get them too because we're not going anywhere. And so, um, but yeah, just how important it is for us to keep speaking to those spaces of power, that that's where the real power is. They might have some, they might have the money, they might have the resources, but we can work on that. And a part of that is always, you know, speaking truth to those systems of colonial power and tearing off their masks um, of beneficence. And some of that requires us to speak to um, spaces like the United Nations, who are a collection of colonial governments and, and the International Monetary Fund and World Trade Organization and the World Bank, who do have their, you know, their, their roots in these global systems of extraction from indigenous um, territories and, and do actively protect colonial privilege in those spaces in a way that inhibits us from being able to really address the drivers of climate change. You know, they, these, come, these, these international financial institutions and gatherings and power systems that, that really are going to be their own undoing because they refuse to extend their assessment and analysis of the problem to their own privilege as well. And it's only going, because they're never going to talk about it. So it's only ever going to be up to us to continue to drive that conversation and shine a light on that situation of injustice. So, you know, when we, when we ask ourselves and when people ask questions around, well, how do we have three decades of climate change action and still, you know, completely fail to meet climate goals? And when people ask, well, why are we still hurtling towards planetary ecological collapse in spite of all of these decades of apparent climate action um, and considered strategies? Um, why are we, you know, on the opposite trajectory to, to what we to where we need to be? We need to be considering those same questions in the same breath and to the same people and in the same challenge as as saying, well, why are we still experiencing enduring injustice against Indigenous peoples? even in the face of the Declaration for the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, you know? Why do Indigenous rights, why does the Declaration have an escape clause for colonial governments if they're serious about Indigenous rights? Why don't we get our land and waters back <laughs> as, a, as an act of, when we know that Indigenous peoples are the most effective climate champions, are the most effective water protectors, are the most effective biodiversity defenders, why does that not extend to land back and waters back then? Why don't we get the rights of self-determination? Why are trade deals more prosecutable than Indigenous rights offences? Why are corporate rights afforded more protections than Indigenous rights? Those are exactly the same questions and answers and issues as why aren't we succeeding in our climate goals? And the answer is because, well, it's, it comes down to the fact that colonial powers have been placed in a position to draft the parameters of injustice when they are themselves unjust. In short, we have put criminals in the judge's seat. And unsurprisingly, the criminals have found themselves innocent or have found the crimes that they commit unpunishable. And that's what really actually needs to change until we set real standards for justice and real systems of accountability 
around climate crime and whether those crimes are direct, you know, and it would be remiss, you know, there's two major functioning lungs that this planet has in the fight against climate change. One is forests and one is the ocean. And in light of our forests, you know, it's a planetary issue. What Jair Bolsonaro is doing in Brazil to the Amazon is a planetary issue. It is not a domestic issue. We don't actually know whether or not the deforestation in the Amazon has tipped us over a point of no return. So whether he's doing it directly, you know, to the trees, to the ecologies, or whether he's carrying that out through uh, you know, legalizing crimes against in, our indigenous brothers and sisters in Brazil, that has planetary consequences. And similarly, you know, the the kind of the crimes that are being carried out through oil companies, through deep sea oil mining, through plastic polluting companies, the ocean acidification and creation of dead zones in the ocean, all of these things that are done through a corporate mentality that is rooted in the doctrine of discovery. There are pla- those are planetary consequences for that, and indigenous peoples, as we all know, are leading the fight against it. Um, and so, until we have some real accountability around those measures, we have to be really clear and uncompromising in what is required here, and that those are, you know, the indigenization, the protection of indigenous rights, the in- protection of indigenous knowledge, and, prote- and indigenous practices, and indigenous science excuse me, as well, those are the strongest climate actions we can take. And I say that as years of working in environmental science, those are the strongest um, measures that we can take. Land back, waters back, centering Indigenous peoples, uh, having Indigenous peoples lead these movements and responses. So um, I guess that's all I have to offer this morning. I offer it with great thanks and solidarity for all of you, my my uh, brothers and sisters on Great Turtle Island and, and across to Mwananui Akiwa and, and eternal thanks to Seventh Generation Fund um, for their support and, and our efforts in, in these projects um, and campaigns um, and, and just your support of our Indigenous Global Village um, throughout the years. Tēnā koutou, And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves, a special on strengthening the circle, the rights of Mother Earth. We were listening to Tina Nata, Project Research Specialist from the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She is a longtime Indigenous activist and scholar. She spoke at the Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program that focused on the rights of Mother Earth this past April 21st of 2021. The panel was titled Climate Change, Getting on Board. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. I feel the spirits of the great sisters calling on me to sing. This is the learning of the great story I'll tell you about this place. From the edge of the mountains, fly down the valley, down where the snowy river flows. Follow the water down to the ocean, bring back the memory. 
This is the timeless land. This is our land. This is the timeless land. This is our land. The song Our Land off the album One Blood by Yathu Yindi here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second segment of today's program, 
we want to continue with Climate Change Getting On Board, a presentation by Tina Nata. She's Project Research Specialist of the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She's a longtime Indigenous organizer and activist, and she spoke this past April 21st of 2021 at the Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program which focused on the rights of Mother Earth. In the second segment of today's program, the panel is moderated by Tia Oros-Peters of the Seventh Generation Fund. And the first question is by Dr. Richard Grounds, who's executive director of the nonprofit Uchi Language Project, which works to create new fluent speakers through immersion teaching between fluent elders and children. And the second question comes from the executive producer of American Indian Airwaves, Marcus Lopez. And now back to strengthening the circle, the rights of Mother Earth with Tina Nata on climate change, getting on board. Thank you, Tina. That's why we invited Tina, right? There are a few words to say, um, and perhaps we have a little time for a couple of questions. I don't know, Helene or Bonnie, if we do, or if Tina, you'd be willing to address a question. Thank you so much for sharing about what real power is, right? It's not about money or ego, but on our own terms, you know, power as an expression of our indigeneity, power as an expression of our identity, power as an expression of compassion, of love, of future of the generations all around us. Thank you for reminding everybody what power really is. So I see that our brother Richard Grounds is um, got his hands up, his hand up. So there he is. So uh, Richard. Kalajaha Alikano da Gohantanewe Anteo Shile. Really appreciate your your uh, message, your words, uh, the work that you all are doing. I had a a quick question kind of around strategy. I, I really appreciate the way you're understanding and linking uh, all of these things together. It's not just the extraction itself. It's the assault on indigenous rights, on indigenous languages, on indigenous life ways. I think that's a really important point to, to stress. And I think of this whole kind of extractive process I think it was uh, 1990 in the U.S., so-called USA, they, um, uh, USA, United States of Amnesia, right? They had a Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which stopped the open extraction of our, our ancestors out of the ground. That, that's kind of process. And um, we've been dealing with this extractive process in terms of our indigenous languages. There, there's uh, enormous amount of recordings, material that was extracted from our elders, from our, our grandmothers, our aunts, that we don't have access to in our communities. It's the privilege of the kind of uh, intellectual colonialism, the academics to kind of hoard these things. And uh, so, I've been saying, I think we need to have, uh, like NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, we need a NALPRA, Native American Languages Protection and Repatriation Act, because our, our languages are our cultural patrimony. 
there's nothing more dear to our cultures, our persistence, our uh, success on this uh, Mother Earth. So I'm so I'm hoping that there could be some kind of legal requirement like NAGPRA in which any scholar, any museum, any academic institution that expects to receive further dollars from the U.S. government that they would have to return, repatriate, at least make accessible all of these important language materials that have been, you know, extracted now in many cases for decades. Uh, many of these scholars are even no longer living, but we still can't get their stuff. You know, uh, I could give examples. I, I won't take the, the, the time necessarily. I know, I remember a meeting we had up at Haskell on our language revitalization and uh, I had invited some of our uh, Caddo youth who were working on their language. And that was the first thing I asked them, did you all ever get that Wally Schaaf material? You know, he's been gone now for some years. Well, no, they still don't have it. And do we even say that? You know, can we even verbalize? These people have such power and control over funding, resources, that we can't even name the problem because there's a threat of recrimination. We'll be cut out of the funding cycle by the, the academics, the linguists who control those resources. I'm wondering, I, I don't know if it's uh, worth the fight or not, but I'm wondering, I kept thinking about this in the last U.S. administration that was uh, so ugly and brutal toward our Mother Earth. And I kept thinking, you know, this is like, it's kind of parallel to the, the crimes against humanity. I think in the, the global legal system, there's a, a category of crimes that are considered crimes against humanity. They are, they are such an extreme nature. And I, I, I kept thinking that what uh, the last administration was doing, these were crimes against Mother Earth. These were crimes against our planet. These were crimes against all of us. But the consequences, again, like you say, is it's part of this tipping point. Uh, will we be able, even able to undo a lot of this madness? Do you think it's worth trying to put together some kind of an international push to, to name crimes against Mother Earth as a legal, uh, something that could be actionable? to have real consequences for these, I don't know, as you're saying, the, the, the folk who are, the judges are the criminals. I don't know if it's something that can be done, but anyway, I just throw that out. Yeah. Appreciate all your work and words. Thank you. In short, yes, I do absolutely believe that there's great power. And, but I also think that, you know, we need to create act and, and actively invest in our own, power systems and structures where we can speak those truths out. You know, they have arbitration, arbitrary committees that, um, that, that consider and discuss and adjudicate over corporate rights through the World Trade Organization. That's completely arbitrary. They just make that up themselves. So I think, you know, one of the traps that we can sometimes fall in is that we wind up spending so much time um, invested and engaged in the colonial systems that that we could be also investing into the creation of our own systems and um, a system that comes out of and is justified by and speaks truth to our our truths as Indigenous peoples that comes out of our global Indigenous village. I see that as a very powerful act. 
you know, like the, we know the government didn't care about our, and the oil company didn't care about our trespass order, but we also knew it was still our ancestral truth. And we also knew that it was, that, that it's still the case that, it, uh, that that was true by our ancestors. And so we had to walk that truth and issue the trespass order and tell them to get out, even though they had colonial permission to be there, they didn't have our permission. And you need to speak truth into that and, and act it out as if it's true. And then it happens, it manifests when, when you walk it, the truth manifests itself. And, you know, there's also real faith and belief in yourselves and belief in your ancestors as well, that when you walk it, when you step into that space and you have faith in them to carry you, the sharks will come, the falcon will come, the eagle will come. They will come to you and they'll and they'll um, they'll affirm your faith. I know because I've seen it. And so um, so yeah, I do think it's important for us to, you know, determine by our standards what our indigenous law LAW is and and when you know, I, I don't do the L-A-W, L-O-R-E thing because our L-O-R-E is our L-A-W. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not any different or lesser than each other. And so... Um, and you're listening to American Indian Airwaves with Tina Nanta. She's Project Researcher Specialist for the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She's a longtime Indigenous activist and organizer and spoke this past April 21st of 2021 as part of a program called Strengthening the Circle, a Native nonprofit leadership program that focuses on the rights of Mother earth and now back to climate change getting on board yeah i i think it's really important for us to define that space and to call those things out and to speak that truth into being and and that when we do that it will it will manifest as well and it's so important that we do that uh, in relation to our languages as well because if it is a crime if if we if i am the ocean then the crime against me is a crime against the ocean and so crimes against Indigenous peoples are environmental crimes because we are environmental beings. And so a, a part of our decolonization process in this and our re-Indigenization process in this is tearing down those colonial boundaries, not just the colonial borders that they, that they use to slice up our land territories, that they use to slice up and divide our ocean territories as well, but tearing down those ideological boundaries that they've placed in the, in the silos that they've placed around our understanding and our connectivity to these places. And, uh, and in particular, when you were talking about the vessels of Indigenous knowledge, knowledge that has grown out of the soil, that has grown out of those waters, that manifests as our Indigenous language, that resonates with the trees of a place, that resonates with the plants and the waters of a place because it's that same voice, that same knowledge, that same relationship. When you're committing a crime against that language, you're committing a crime against the environment that that language is connected to. So particularly Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous peoples need to be recognised in that same understanding and framework. Hmm. Thank you to our Yuchi brother for bringing that question forward and, and Tina for your response. We have a final question from our Chumash brother, Marcus Lopez. Marcus? Greetings from the Tongva and Chumash people in our Tomo and Tiats where you visited our coastal lands, the Wakas and the Wakas 
you know, it was so beautiful and um, second to none. Share with us about the ocean-based culture, that story and the grandmothers and grandfathers of the ocean spirit, the wind spirit, the fog and all that, and how that's connected to, and I really love what you said about the ocean, the forest, not separating it and not separating all the canoe families of the Northwest and the Northeast and the Caribbean and, and Central America and all those canoe families that we share relationship with because of the water. Share some of those stories for us, um, not in the sense of what you said in um, the territories versus the ocean and what that means to us. Very powerful, thank you. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. And thank you for the question. And I, you know, we, we have really valued relationships with our Chumash brothers and sisters and some of our ocean um, water, uh, marine plastic um, research that we're doing. We're uh, engaging with uh, some of our Chumash brothers and sisters, particularly from Wishtoyo uh, and with their Pomo um traditions and providing them with some of our marine plastic trawls to be able to do some uh, microplastic trawling along the coastline there as well. And it's a really valued relationship. Yeah, I mean, our, our connection, as I, as I expressed through the poem at the beginning, it's an, it's an ancestral one. And we say one of our sayings that we have from one of our dear Moana sisters, Teresia Te she's no longer with us on this side, but her, her saying... Um, which she, it's been out in about since I think the 1980s, but it resonates and we say it often in the Moana, which is we cry and we sweat salt water so that we know that the ocean is really in our blood. And uh, that's something that resonates for us because of just our deep, deep connection to, um, to the ocean. And the ocean is our, it's our ancestor, but also we, it's our God, our deity, our atua, and, and it's our ancestor and we descend down from them. And they, um, you know, we have stories about them being in times of unrest when all of the gods, the Atua, were fighting with each other. And the, the land Atua and the ocean Atua were fighting with each other. And there's something there's really, in fact, there's a few stories that I can think of around that. One is that, you know, before our great sky father, was wedded to the great sky mother. He was wedded to the ocean mother, Hinemwana. And uh, he got eyes for Papatuanuku, the land made and our, our land mother, and, uh, and left the ocean mother to have many, many children with Papatuanuku. And the ocean mother was very um, upset and aggrieved. And she started to attack the land. And we call it the ngaua Hinemwana, the biting of Hinemwana. And there was a conflict between them for a time. And uh, when they were separated, when the earth mother and sky father were separated, he cried for her. And in his first tear came the child, Tuna, the eel. And Tuna traveled along the fresh water and went out to sea and became, uh, and, and still today, the, the, our eels go from the fresh water out to the sea and back again. And that child, that grandchild uh, of the ocean of the and the sea and the land became a peace covenant um, between the ocean and managed to regulate so that they stopped fighting with each other. Similarly, when our Atua were in conflict because of that separation and the 
Tangaroa, our ocean father, and Pāne, and our Tāwhiri Mātea, our winds, our father of the winds, and Pāne, our father of the forest. We're all at war with each other. It was um, a child, a young woman, a young uh, female goddess um, who calmed them, Hinero Katauri, who became the goddess of music as well. Hinepūtehue, actually, Hinepūtehue, who became a very specific musical goddess of the wood. And um, and it was that music that soothed them to stop fighting. And there's great power in those stories, I believe. You know, there's things that we see in that, that it's actually our youth. Our youth are a huge part of the solution. Our youth have the ability to be able to calm conflict and remind us of what's important. Our youth carry the hope and the promise for um, for a stable tomorrow as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's some, yeah, a, a helpful sharing. But that's just something that came to mind as as you were talking about that. Some of those really powerful stories from our ancestry that speak to those times of conflict which we're in right now, difficult times. Um, and the power of our arts, the power of music and song, and uh, and the importance of our youth and our future generations to carry forth that promise for a better tomorrow. You're so welcome. Thank you, um, Tia. It's been medicine for me to sit with you all this morning and, and to spend some time with you again. And now is Tina Nata. She's a longtime Indigenous activist, scholar, organizer, and is project research specialist at the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She spoke on a panel this past April 21st of 2021 titled Climate Change, Getting on Board. It was part of the Strengthening the Circle, a native nonprofit leadership program that thematically focused on the rights of Mother Earth. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves with music by Yathu Yindi. Oh, <laughs> 
existence is over. The song Kora Bayathu Yindi here on American Indian Airwaves. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our featured guest, Tina Nata, who is a longtime indigenous activist organizer and is project researcher specialist at the Institute of Environmental Science and Research in Aotearoa, or New Zealand. She spoke on a panel titled Climate Change, Getting On Board at the Strengthening the Circle a native nonprofit leadership program that thematically focused on the rights of Mother Earth. A special thank you to our musical guests for the entire hour, Aragon Star, Kupa Aina, and Yathu Yindi, as well as the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burn Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. is over.